Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Rob. And welcome to the Help Me, I'm Middle Age podcast. Where you can find fun, exciting things about being middle-aged. Oh, you're going to find things about us and about yourself you never thought you knew. Hold on, come along for the ride. It's going to be fun. Welcome to the Help Me, I'm Middle Age podcast. My name is Rob. And I'm Rob, too. And today, we have Kim Kelleher from Hunter and Hospice. And we are excited about this conversation coming up. And we want to thank Kim for joining us today. And she's actually a colleague of my partner, Rob. Yes, yes. Actually, uh, I am a volunteer of the Hunter and Hospice. Uh, and Kim is the volunteer coordinator there. And uh, I guess probably about a year ago or so, I got involved in hospice. And we'll get to that story in a little bit. But uh, Kim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Hunter and Hospice? Okay, so um, first of all, thank you for having us. Um, it's a good time for us to be doing some publicity here just because November is National Hospice and Palliative Care Month. So it's a time just, you know, sort of designated to help create awareness about hospice and the offerings. So we're really thankful that you guys asked us to, to participate. Um, I'm actually a Hunterdon County resident. I've been here a long, long time. Came back after school, uh, after college. Um, my background is actually in um, communication and marketing, but I've landed myself. I've had a lot of involvement with nonprofits through a really fortunate string of events. I ended up here at Hunter and Hospice um, as the volunteer coordinator. And basically with hospices, um, when Medicare had hospice as a, um, when hospice became part of the Medicare benefit under the law, it's written into the law that 5% of the workforce of a hospice has to be provided by a volunteer base. So that's where my role comes in and that's how you know Rob and I were fortunate enough to meet. Um, my job is to oversee uh, the volunteers and the, and the things that they do. Um, sadly, right now with COVID, we're, the model is very altered right now. Um, our patients aren't allowed to go and do home visits with, you know, provide that visitation and care. Um, but on a, in a normal circumstance, we hope to get back to one of these days. Um, our volunteers are going in and providing, you know, companionship. They're pro providing relief support for, um, you know, for the for the caregivers to be able to either, you know, take a rest or take a walk or go out and run some errands and all that. Um, volunteers also provide complimentary therapies um, like Reiki and massage therapy and pet therapy. Um, so it's a pretty special component, non-clinical component of uh, hospice care. So that's sort of how I fit into the piece. And then I guess as we go along, I can tell you more about hospice as a whole. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned palliative care. What's, in case people don't know what that is, what is that compared to yeah, hospice? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of words. So I don't, again, don't have a clinical background. Um, so it's been um, a learning experience for me. And there's a lot of common terms that, you know, I think I help translate. Palliative care and hospice care sort of work hand in hand. Um, hospice care is palliative care. Both, both disciplines are looking to provide comfort um, when a person is going through a disease or an illness. The difference um, comes in part that palliative care can start at a diagnosis and while um, treatment is being sought. So for example, if someone had side effects from doing chemotherapy, they could have palliative care to help them with the symptoms that come, you know, the side effects from chemotherapy. They also, you know, just from a psychosocial standpoint, there's social workers and palliative care and doctors and all that help to provide just the support that's needed when you're facing a, a you know, an illness. 
the difference is hospice sort of comes into play when the when that illness has reached a terminal um, terminal progression. And so hospice care when when the patient has an expectancy of six months or less to live, that's sort of when hospice care comes on board. And hospice isn't a place, it's a philosophy. So what's happening is it's just the shift of saying, okay, we're not gonna be curing this illness. There are no more cures or treatments for this illness. Now the goal is to make people as comfortable and you know just give them quality of life in the days that they have left. So that's kind of yeah. the difference. You know, I, um just recently in 2019, went through the 100 in hospice uh, program, I guess, uh, with my mom. And it's, uh, it's, it's so fascinating to me because like those people, all of you do what I consider God's work, right? You just are very, very, very kind. And I remember the nurse, her name was Joanne. I, 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 her last name escapes me right now. And me and my wife were here and my mom was just entering hospice from um, a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And we were lost. Like we, this is a lot on the family to be able to handle. And like, she just took us in the living room. She sat us down and she told us we were going to get through this. She told us everything you guys offered. And you, you know, for example, like when a patient becomes incontinent, and it's your parent, that's a really tough thing to go through. And she's just like, well, you're just gonna do it. <laughs> you know, you're just gonna do it. And here's how you're gonna do it. And here's the supplies you're gonna buy. And here's what you're gonna do. And I mean, we could not have survived without Hunter and Hospice at all. And it was a, uh, it, it was very, very sad, as you can imagine, losing a parent, but, um, the level of care that we provided for her, I honestly feel was the best that we have right now. And, and it couldn't have been done without Hunter and Hospice. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's a really difficult time. I mean, there's no way around the fact that it's a, it's a crisis situation. I mean, it's one of the biggest stressors in life. Um, our medical director, Margaret Doyle, often says, you know, we do the training with the volunteers and all, it's just, we practice for everything in life. We practice for graduations. We practice for weddings. We practice, you know, studying for tests. Our culture doesn't practice how to die. And so it can be very, very overwhelming when you're in that, that place of just, how do I do it? Um, so 100 in Hospice comes in and, you know, we don't take over, but we, it's, we're very much, it's an interdisciplinary team, we call it. And so there are all these different professionals and non-professionals like myself, like Rob, who just kind of helps surround the family and provide, you know, a customized plan of care. Every, every situation is unique. So it's not just a basic recipe of here's what's going to happen. Um, every person's passage through dying is different. So there's different symptoms to manage. There's different psychosocial aspects to it and so that's what's really kind of the beauty of it is just people coming in um, and just being there to be the support when you need it yeah absolutely it was uh actually it was rob's mom who kind of sparked the interest in me becoming a volunteer because after rob was telling me about what was happening um, and just sort of the level of care and just the interaction uh, i was looking for something to donate my time with and that just seemed like a fantastic opportunity I also have a lot of clients who's, they're typically 
probably 65 years of age or a little bit younger. So their parents are up there in their 80s and 90s. And I've been hearing more just through stories that they've been telling me about how hospice has been brought in and, and what a difference it makes. So this seemed like just a great sort of opportunity to, to give back and just be you know, focused on a hospice sort of an approach. So yeah. It was... I mean, yeah, it's pretty special. I mean, I like, again, I didn't have, I think that the average person doesn't understand hospice. There's a lot of stigmas with it that culturally we just don't. Yeah. Part of what I'm working on now is just how do, how do we get the message out there and how do we help to educate people so that it isn't such a stigma? Um, but what are is. some of the stigmas that there or myths that people bring to the table about hospice? That yeah, I, I think that there's a lot just about hospice is about giving up. I think that's one of the first things you hear like, oh, okay, you're going on hospice because you give up. And right. it's not about that at all. I mean, I, I think what's sad about that is that people wait too long to come on. And yeah. there's nothing worse for us than a family that comes to us when their loved one is you know, hours, days, weeks out from, from death. And, and we can't, you know, it's, it's just this really stressful scramble to provide support and education so they know what they're experiencing. So it's really, um, you know, it, it's, it's something that can provide support much earlier in the game, um, just to, to have it be less stressful of an experience for you. So it's not giving up. It's just, it's, it's a shift in your focus and your perspective. You know, it's, it's basically saying like, I don't want to go to the hospital anymore. I don't want to be poked with needles. I don't right. want to take chemo. I don't want to do all these things that are not in the natural day-to-day -day schedule. And I just want to be home. I want to be with my family. I want to be with my loved ones. I want quality time. You know, we do the, our, you know, first and foremost, we're doing the best we can to relieve pain. And that's, right. you know, anybody who has pain, you know, you can't focus on other things when you're suffering in pain. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a key thing for us is to just be able to make someone comfortable and give them quality. And, and you know, if any, any of the family members are out there listening, um, you shouldn't feel guilty about trying to get some time for yourself because like you're on duty basically 24 hours a day when you're the caregiver in a house with with the, with the loved one and like i i forget like the uh, hospice or like the the aide would come in and they'd be like just it's okay to leave like you know go go for a walk go to the gym for 45 minutes like clear your head you know because like you're around the loved one who is progressively getting worse 24 7 and it's a lot on you never mind the patient and that's when you start to like lose patience, I think sometimes. Um, and, and sometimes they come in, they give you a little gap of time and you, you're able to clear your head a little bit, you know, before you go back. And I, I think that is so important because you're, you're trying to be the best caregiver you can and you're not trained for it. You didn't, this just thrown upon you. Like these are what people do who love people that they take care of them at their time of need, right? So. I think um, uh, take advantage of hospice, take advantage of what they offer. Um, if the health aid comes in and you know you have like a two hour window, you know, clear your head a little bit, go for a little bit of a walk. Like it's okay to leave. It's, you know, you gotta go grocery shopping. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. Like there's a whole household and children and other factors of your life that still have to run on top of taking care of the loved one. So uh, if you could speak a little bit about like how important it is to, to, to take advantage of all the services that hospice offer. 
Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. I mean, as a caregiver, the, the biggest thing is hospice doesn't move in with you. It's not like we're coming in and taking care of every detail, you know. Right. We're a support team, but the, the patient still has to have an identified primary caregiver who's going to be the point person for the care that's required. And it's right. hard, especially, you know, in keeping with the theme of your, your podcast here, especially for our generation, you know, we're a split generation. We're trying to care for parents and we're trying to raise children and we're trying to work a full-time job. Um, so it's a lot of stress that can be on you when you're trying to, you know, you have to make shifts in, in your normal routine. Um, so like I said, we, we're providing resources like home health aides that can come in for a period of time and help with, you know, basic like um, personal care and, and that kind of thing. But they're not there 24-7. So there is a part of it that's on you. And there's no question about it. I mean, um, you know, being a caregiver is physically and emotionally exhausting. So sure. you really need, it's kind of like I use the analogy of like they always, the, on the air, the flight attendants on an airplane, you need to get that oxygen mask on yourself first before you can start to help others. So it's really important to take care of yourself. And, um, I think that's, you know, that that's the resource that we help provide. And there's really no cost, right, associated with the, you know, people bringing in hospice at this point. No, I mean, most, um, most hospice coverage is covered by Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance uh, companies, and um, in, in not all hospices, but unique to Hunterdon Hospice is that we will never turn anyone away who can't, you know, who doesn't have the, the coverage to cover the cost. We will work with the families, you know, to, to be able to provide that care. We're not going to deny anybody, you know, the right to a, a comfortable and dignified death. So, you know, that's it's really important. And that's usually done with the doctor, you know, saying it's time for hospice. So if a family is thinking like that, but wants to start the process, what's usually the best way to go about getting it going? So yeah, to come on hospice, you need a, a doctor to certify that the expectancy, and I always say that, I mean, people think like, oh, they came on hospice and they died right away. And that's not the case. We have patients that are on for a year, two years, six months. I mean, it's not us, up to us to know how long someone had, but the, if the average diagnosis for the condition is less than six months, a doctor will certify that they can come on hospice service. Um, that doesn't mean that someone should wait for their doctor to say, okay, it's time. I mean, you as the, it's, it's ultimately up to the patient and to their loved ones to say, you know, we're at the place where we need support or we're at the place where we don't want to pursue, you know, pursue any more treatments and all that. So again, it's, it's team and it's communication that's really important. Um, but in technical terms, yes, a doctor would, you know, write the order that someone is appropriate for hospice. And then we actually have a position here, actually your nurse, Joanne, that you spoke about is now our liaison. And so she goes and meets with families and just assesses, you know, is the person appropriate to come on hospice? Um, and that's, jo that's oh. Joanne's a rock star. <laughs> I will share this podcast with her afterwards. Been here a long time, and she's she's a good she's a fireball, and she's just really dedicated to what she does. So yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a hard call to to make that decision, and and it's important to um, you know just take the steps you know to get the information that you need.
Right. And oh, I guess to that point too, my point was that Medicare is what sort of guides who's appropriate. It's not discretionary to us to say, yes, they're good, no, they're not. Um, there are very strict guidelines about the progression of a terminal illness and you have to meet those, a patient has to meet those criteria to be able to come on. So um, that's something that's continually looked at. We meet weekly in a team setting where we go through, the whole team is there and we discuss the patient and the condition and is there improvement, is there decline? And um, so basically when they come on for Medicare, there's, there's two um, periods, two basic periods of 90 days. And then after that, they're recertified every 60 days. So our medical director in conjunction with the nurse will go out and visit the patient and then assess, okay, you know, is there decline or is, are they stable? Is there improvement? You know, we sometimes have people that we say graduate from hospice, you know, once we get them comfortable and, you know, just things settle, things seem to even out and their symptoms don't decline. So, you know, they're, they're not eligible to stay on hospice, which is, you know, a good thing. I was gonna say that's a positive thing. And it is, it's a positive thing. And, you know, there's no denying it, you know, it doesn't mean that their illness has gone away, but it certainly means that they're just not as in the rapid decline that, that would require yeah. hospice care. Yeah. You know, I would uh, recommend if someone is financially able to afford it to, um, and they're going through this, uh, New Jersey has a family leave act. And I'm not sure if it's a national thing or it's just a state thing, but you're allowed to leave your job for a period of time to take care of a loved one. And um, I, I could, I, I'm so glad that I took advantage of that because it allowed me that, that time to be with my mother, you know, at the end there, the last uh, several, probably 12 weeks or something. And, uh, you know, it's a financial hit. So if those who can't afford it, we, I totally understand that. But if, if you are, I mean, it, it, there was a sense, it, it, it was a sense of just, we just spent a lot of good time together. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all sad either. Like we'd laugh about old stories. Like we'd joke around, you know, like you would cry and laugh in the same hour. You know what I mean? Like that's part of the process. You know, I, I we tell funny stories. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was a, it was a bonding thing. And, um, you know, of course, those last couple of weeks, you had less and less and less and less of that, of course, but you know, uh, I would really recommend if if you were able to take advantage of that to do that. It's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Just to know. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult chapter, but there there is beauty in it. I mean, there is. It's just it's it's a really special time. And again, not all families how people deal with crisis. Not all families can embrace it. Some people fight it till the end. You know, and it's you know, but it yeah. is if you can if you can kind of embrace the situation and just be in the moment there's yeah. really there's a lot of beauty that can happen there absolutely and it runs the gamut too i mean it's not just individuals in their 80s it's unfortunately sometimes younger children that yeah i mean hospice care is you know unfortunately illnesses don't discriminate and so right. we take everyone from children all the way up to you know we had we had a woman on our service who was, she celebrated her 102nd birthday, I think it was. Wow. And wow. Volunteers, we were all excited to go and celebrate with her, but sadly that happened during COVID. So, you know, um, you know, it's just, it's pretty special. And it is, and certainly, you know, when it's a younger life, especially again, middle age, when I'm seeing those 
sheets come in and it's saying 50 years old or whatever, it's hitting close to home. So there's yeah. no, you know, there, there's no discriminating against who, who this happens to. So we're doing our best, you know, at every level. Has COVID been anything special or different as far as during for the hospice time or? Not, I mean, the biggest thing is just safety protocols. It's not like we're seeing our patient load increase. You know, sadly, people with COVID were in the hospital and, and you know, passed in the hospital. So it wasn't like they were being rushed onto hospice. It wasn't an option. So it didn't, it doesn't change our numbers um, per se, like our daily census, but certainly the protocols. I mean, um, you know, at one point our social workers had to do everything like we're doing now, just remotely with the families. So there wasn't that, uh, you know, face-to-face -face care and compassion that way. Um, nurses going in obviously in full PPE when required, you know, just, um, you know, if we had, we had, we had COVID patients that, you know, were on service. Um, so that required another level. Um, it's, and it's tiring, you know, and then certainly, you know, like I said, we're missing a huge part of our program to be able to offer the, the complimentary therapies and just the volunteer. Um, yeah, that's my favorite part when I see our volunteers bond with a family and just, you know, it's, yeah. it's a pretty special connection. So it's really sad not to be able to do that. I know I was getting pretty close to one of the ones in one of the nursing homes. We had, we were every week we were getting together, watching TV together, having a good time. And she was coming out of her shell a little bit more, which was great. And then COVID happened. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, that's on hold for now. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm on deck. I'm ready to go. Put me in, coach, whenever that time is ready. So. I got you all on speed dial. <laughs> but but I, I think COVID's definitely having a negative effect on the patient because um, trying to keep them healthy and trying to keep everyone around them healthy. But the amount, when I think of what happened to my mom, the amount of cousins and people who came by for the last visit and travel distances, like no one's doing that anymore. So I mean that there, there's definitely I, that would definitely have an emotional effect. You know, you can't see that that niece or that that great grandchild for the last time. Like that, that's got to be an emotional effect on the patient. You know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, thankfully we have the technology that gives us some kind of connection, but it's not the right. same. Right. Right. Um, and especially for the people that are in care facilities. I mean, the care facilities tend to go into lockdown and they won't let, you know, they even limit the number of our staff. Like we have to have a designated nurse who goes in and all that. And, you know, it, it's just in the best interest of the patients and the staff that's there. So yeah, yeah. really tough. I can't imagine that's, that's it, the whole thing's gotta be so tough, you know, yeah. oh, sad, but so let me ask you another question. So, how, how as a volunteer coordinator like how was um the recruiting of volunteers uh it's a special person to want to volunteer in the hospice so what would be your pitch to have more people once the world gets back to normal come in the hospice and just not hundred in hospice i mean you know we're on youtube spotify and all the channels so it's it's a national platform so to encourage more volunteers well, what does that bring to the patient and the volunteer. Right. Um, I mean, anybody who's volunteering for any organization, you know, they've got a big heart. They have to, to do selfless kind of work. Um, for 100 in hospice, I mean, a, a lot of our volunteers, I'll do the pitch to you, Rob, a lot of our volunteers come on because they've had a loved one on hospice and, they, and they've experienced it and they want to give back. Um, you know, we have volunteers who just 
maybe don't have a big family network and they say like, I want to be there for the people that don't have those family. That, that's the hard things when there's people that don't have that really tight network to support them through this chapter. So um, certainly, I mean, it's just something that it's a way to give back. Um, it's, you know, I, I joke in the sense that when you tell people that you work for or volunteer for hospice, they kind of give you that empathetic head tilt of like, oh, you know, and I equate it to telling people you live in New Jersey. You kind of get like that, oh, you know. Our little uh, farm country here, we know the secret. There's beauty in it. So uh, right, right. I think that's hospice too. I mean, it's, it's hard work sometimes. And, I, you know, we have days when our staff are crying because it's hard work. And then there's days that are just, you, you have that connection with the patient and it puts a, you know just something in your heart and you carry it with you forever it changes you so um you know it takes a, a selfless kind of person to be able to do it but it, it's the rewards are just so amazing and it's also it's really good in the sense that for me you know being surrounded by death all day it does help change your perspective about your own life you know i'm worrying yeah. about you know oh i didn't get to mow the lawn or i didn't get to do you know the grocery shopping right it's like get over yourself you know it just okay. It helps you not to dwell on things that may, you know, chip away at you during your normal day because it gives you perspective about what's really important in life. That is yeah. so important. I think it's like a, it's an honor. I mean, I think you had me on the first time I did this was on a, um, the vigil watch for an individual in the hospital. And that was just two hours of my time going into an individual I've never met before, but just being there because there was nobody else stopping by and it was sort of predetermined that it was his last few hours, if not days. And there's just like a sense of that person is kind of inviting me in to be part of their life for a short period of time. That's really, again, an honor more than anything else. So I, I think it's fantastic. To yeah, we speak a lot to the privilege of it. I mean, and what, you know, the visual work, especially, that's something that, you know, when people are you know, in the active decline of the disease, um, either they don't have someone, especially in this day and age, if someone can't travel to be here, or even if the family is there and, you know, they just need a break and they just want someone, this, it tends to happen more in facilities um, when we would go in there if the, if the loved one wants to just go home and sleep a little bit, but they just, mm -hmm. they, they, they don't want to leave because they don't want their loved one to die alone. So that's, yeah. you know, they will request a vigil and then that was probably one of the things that amazed me the most when I started here because I started, you know, in late January and it was cold and it was dark and we got a vigil request and I put out the, you know, the request of the volunteers and, and in two hour increments through the night, people said, I'll take midnight to two, I'll take two to four, I'll take, you know, and that's, again, driving a cold, it's dark, it's someone yeah. doesn't even know and they just rise to the challenge and it's just, it's a beautiful thing. It's so nice to hear these stories because like, you know, if you put on the TV or the news, it's like, you know, it's just nice to know that there's people who are selfless who will come out in the middle of the night to someone they've never met who is in their last couple of days or hours and just sit with them. I mean, that that is just so awesome that we live in a place in a country in a world where there, there's volunteers who will do stuff like that and they don't get the they don't get the sexy headlines on television or wherever, you know, but they're there and they're doing the work and it's, it's, it's so nice. Yeah. 
it is pretty special. I mean, we're, we're grateful. And I, I don't know, in hospice, I mean, in terms of recruiting volunteers and all that, it, um, you know, we're in our 41st year, I guess, 79. So I'm doing the math, 41st, 42nd year. Um, and just, we've always had the, the hospice start, 100 hospice started as a volunteer initiative. So that's kind of carried it through. And we have, you know, we have over 100 volunteers who help and it's at different capacities. Some people love to do patient care. Some people prefer not to, they come and do administrative work here in the office for us. Some people help do medication and supply deliveries. So, um, you know, I always look at it that volunteering is a gift. You're giving your time. So we don't dictate how much or how you have to do it. It's, it's you finding the way that it fits in and makes it meaningful for you. Um, so it's certainly something that um, we've always felt fortunate that we have a really solid, I, I, you know, I think that's a testament to Hunterdon County and just how much people care and, you know, it's nice. And, and literally I have volunteers that are young and in their thirties all the way up to, you know, I have some that are in their late eighties that are still volunteering for us in a way. So we're really fortunate to have that kind of base of people. It makes my job easy for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 we'll go Rob. I said, I would also like to comment as, um, someone who went through the program as a family member, the, these or, this organization is so dedicated to the entire process that like months after my mom passed away, they would call me from time to time and just ask me how I was doing. Did I need to talk to someone? Were, was I okay? Uh, did I want to uh, sit down and, and, and just listen to any services that they could provide? Was I coping well with it? And you know, like I'm a guy, you know, blah blah. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Well, I really probably wasn't doing 100% okay, you know. What I mean? But th they were still reaching out to make sure that the family was okay. okay. I mean, t take advantage of these offers. Some of us need someone to talk to after a loved one has passed away. Someone uh, you've gone through a traumatic situation taking care of a loved one. You know, you've done things to, to help that loved one you probably never thought you could do or was able to do, but yet you did it because you love them and you care for them. And uh, I was really impressed with the level of service that they were willing to uh, extend to the family even after my mother passed away. Right. I mean, that's that's a whole comprehensive part of hospice service is that we do follow the family in bereavement for 13 months after the death of their loved one. Um, yeah. It is through a series of phone calls, it's mailings, um, we do an annual memorial service every November, it's pretty special, we have support groups, um, and you know, everybody grieves differently, so some families take full advantage of it, other families, you know, we make the call and they say, we're good, you know, like, we filled the role for what they needed and they're good and they're on their way and they, and they request not, so it's not something that we're looking to impose upon people it's just a resource that's there if it helps them because you know no two people are grieving the same so but we're pretty proud of it i mean it's it's a good program it's um you know very supportive our volunteers help out a lot with that we actually just recently you know expanded our our call team of volunteers because it is something that they can do from home right now to help us is to be following up those families um and just being a voice on the other end you know and then if there are more clinical needs or support, then obviously our social workers are overseeing that, but it, but it is a nice, you know, that, I think that's part of the beauty of the volunteer in hospice too, is that you're so inundated with doctors and nurses and aides and all this kind of stuff. that it's kind of nice to have people that are just coming in with, 
you know, yeah. the common man's uh, purpose. So, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good program. Well, it was duly appreciated. I thought it was very, very thoughtful. And I think it's a great program. And I think there's, like you said, there's some people will take advantage of it. Some people will be like, okay, like, uh, you know, maybe not, but it, it's just nice to even know that it's, a, it, it's available. I mean, that's, that's great. Cause we, I think as we all get, as whole thing is evolving as a species here, we're starting to realize that, you know, getting these feelings out, talking really helps a lot, you know, and I, I, I was really appreciative of the thought. Yeah. Are, are more people taking advantage of hospice now? I mean, do you see any trends that are happening over the years or is it um, consistent? I don't think so. I mean, for, for us, you know, our census is kind of, it goes in a, a certain, we're, we're probably about the upper 30s to mid 50s in terms of how many patients we have on at a time. Um, you know, hospice agencies can be structured very differently. So the patient load is very, um, varies greatly. But, um, you know, for us, we've been pretty tried and true with that. You know, certainly we'd love to be able to expand the offering. And I think a lot of that is between the the communication and the marketing and the awareness. Um, the landscapes changed a lot. When we were founded in 1979, we were pretty much the only game in town. And now there's a lot more hospices out there. There's a lot more um, options for families to, to pursue. Um, you know, the hospice philosophy and tenants are the same um, and requirements are the same, but the structure of, of what the organizations provide can vary. Um, there's nonprofit hospice and there's for-profit hospice and right. so just in how they're, they're structured can be different. Any ideas on like what to be on the lookout for when looking at different hospice providers? Is there anything that's cause for alarm or red flags go up or anything like that? that the biggest thing is that you can, um, it's important to kind of do a little bit of your homework in advance, right. I think, before starting to make the calls or having the conversation. I mean, certainly with the internet, you can look up things and give yourself a little bit more guidance. Um, the, the best resource is probably the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, which is nhpco.org. Mm -hmm. They actually have a family toolkit that can help you, you know, just kind of map it out for you and know what things to look for and to ask about. Um, and then Medicare also has a website too. If you go to medicare.gov, um, they have a, they're actually, I have to look at my notes here because it's a, it was called Hospice Compare and they're calling it Care Compare starting December 1st. But that one allows you to like put in your zip code and put in, you know, compare the local hospices in your area. And then you can sort of weigh, you know, where things sit for what you're looking for. Yeah, interesting. But, it, but it's helpful too, I guess, just again, to be more aware of, of the hospice philosophy and what it involves. And certainly we explain that when we go out and meet with a family and say, okay, this is what it's about. And if you're comfortable with that, you sign on. And if you're not, you know, we leave and, and you can call us at a later date if it seems right then. So. Yeah, I guess it's all about education and just people becoming knowledgeable about what hospice really is. And I guess human nature, people kind of keep wanting to try new things for their loved ones to make them better. And then eventually you, know, you just kind of say, what's the quality of life you're going, going to have. So yeah. yeah, I think the whole hospice sort of ideologies really needs to be known by the public more and more. Yeah. And it's not, like I said, it's not a, you know, giving up approach. And certainly if someone comes on and then says, 
well, you know what, I think now there's a clinical trial, I want to try it, then we have people that revoke hospice. They decide that, okay, no, I don't, I don't want to, you know, right. I want to keep fighting. I want to go back and try something different. And so that happens too. Um, you know, it's really, it's patient and family centered. It's whatever that person needs. And we're just trying to meet them where they're at. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there's got to be nothing better than, uh, you know, could you imagine a clinical trial and you're on hospice and you're accepted to the clinical trial and you come off hospice. I mean, that's gotta be, <laughs> it's gotta be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be, you know, that, that's stuff of movies are made out of, right? You know, that'd right. be great, you know? Oh my God, that'd be all, you know, for, for the patient, you know? Sure. Yeah, it's hard. And I mean, we have sometimes, you know, there's families that again, they come on, but then they fight it because they, you know, they don't, it's just, it's a very emotional place to, to be in. And so it's just, it has to be, you know, we're not speeding up the death process and we're not, you know, slowing it down. It's just, we're meeting the people to be there for them to provide the care that they, they need. So that includes, uh, their you know, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great, great work. Great work. I'll, I'll be eternally thankful to hospice, you know, absolutely. Oh, Rob. So, I mean, I have a quick question. So for the month, Month of November is hospice month. Uh, is there anything unique going on uh, because of that? It's not, um, you know, we don't have anything specific here right now. Like, um, I actually have an article that I'm about to release just about an experience we had with a patient. Um, mm -hmm. We just uh, started a legacy program. Again, volunteer based. We had training. Um, we actually have a volunteer who's uh, a certified life review and legacy. Mm -hmm. uh, person, so he, you know, worked with me, and we developed sort of a curriculum to be able to offer legacy work and life review work. Um, we got every, you know, we did, we put all the things in place, and we got everything set, and we got the flyer, and then COVID hit. So, right. you know, we're, we're at the ready to start on that. But we actually did have a patient recently who wanted to do legacy work, and so I went with the social worker and and did the legacy work in the place and to volunteer. Whoa. For those of us not in the know, what does legacy work mean? What does what what does that that term mean? I'm I'm lost. This is really cool too. Uh, yeah, you, go ahead, you describe it. Ken. This is one of my uh, personal favorite things to do. But it um so there there's life review, which is again when someone is dying, there's a lot of you know there's physical decline, there's mental, there's psychosocial, there's spiritual um, things that they you know they might be wrestling with. And so sometimes for people to do a life review, it's the opportunity to sit with someone and just share their story. Could be getting it off their chest. Maybe they have something that they wanna, you know, just kind of talk about and process with someone. Um, and, it, and it's for the benefit solely of them to just find peace, you know, and make it easier for them to, to pass. Um, but legacy work is something that with the intention that you're doing it to leave a legacy or leave some kind of memory for it can be for a loved one it can be for a friend it can be for educational purposes um and so what we're offering is the ability to go in and record and very much like this it's just it's the opportunity to sit and have a conversation and to you know we can offer questions that prompt the conversation or we can just say okay you know what do you want to talk about and let them just go um 
and very mindful. Like when, when we did this one recently, you know, that's, it's their property when we record. So when I talked to this person, I said, we're going to do this and capture this moment. And then you're going to say, you know, okay, I want to share it with, or I, you know, delete it and we delete it, you know, and it's just, it's the memory of just the, the moment there that it was. Um, so in regards to awareness for hospice care and all the, the, this person graciously said, like she gave consent, share my story. So that's something that I'm hoping to get out this week just to publish to, you know, it, I think it's for me personally, with all the darkness that goes and sadness that goes with death, in hospice care, like I said, there's beauty. And so it's just finding those little bits of beauty that, uh, you know, kind of, yeah. it's the light in the darkness that just we kind of, we look, look for those things to kind of help balance. I think that, I, I think that's awesome. You know, it, it's so strange. I, I think we all go through our entire life just thinking we're never going to die, right? Because like, we're fine, you know, it's, it's just something that we, as a human being, I don't think we really concentrate on the end. And uh, when my grandmother died, I was like 12 years old. And I wasn't, you know, I was at the church and the priest said something and it just stuck with me the rest of my life. He said, you were all born with a sentence to die. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm 12 years old. I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? I feel great. You know? But like, as you get older, it's one of those things that like stay in your mind. You know, it's just, you know, one line I remember from the eulogy. I couldn't tell you another word the guy said, but it's true. Like we're all going to make this transition. Right. And, um, when I hear the story about the legacy and sharing it and maybe putting your, your, your thoughts uh, in a recordable form, whether video or audio, I, I think that's awesome because you, you can share it with people and your grandchildren, or maybe your grandchildren aren't even born yet, you know, and they could, they could hear a little bit from you when you're still cognitive and able to. And I, I think that's really important. I, I think that's part of like the healing process of when you're going through this. I, I think that's amazing. We also see the other, part, the other part too that's kind of special. We, we had this with a patient is that, you know, she didn't want to be recorded or in any way like that, but she wanted to leave a message for all of her family members. So a volunteer sat with her and helped her write legacy letters. And so we kept them here at the office. And after she passed, the nurse went and delivered them to each of the family members. And like, you know, I mean, this was this really wow. massive, special gift. That's it, very nice. Yeah. It's just like, what would be greater than to just have a, a you know, a custom letter to you that you're yeah. left to. So. Uh, that's awesome. That is amazing. I bring what a tear to your eye. <laughs> what about the, uh, the program that is at the hundred and hospice where you, you make like a pillow or a bear out of the, um, the clothing or the. Yeah. Clothing? So we have a, we have a memory bear program and, um, we do it. For hospice, typically, it's obviously the, the clothes of your loved one who passed, but we've also done things, you know, if somebody had a special occasion, a wedding dress or whatever, and they want a bear or a pillow made, um, this was an initiative started. It's all done by the volunteers. They donate all the, the stuffing and the pillow forms and all that and their time, and um, it's pretty fun. I mean, people bring... I, actually, my office, it doesn't look so bad right now, but it looked like Santa's workshop. It comes mm -hmm. in days, so... You know, people bring in bags of clothes and they give us instructions of, you know, we want the Hawaiian shirt here and we want the red fabric here, like whatever. And they, they customize it to what they want it. And then our volunteers sew it and uh, give it back. And it, it's, it's, again, it's another one of those bright spots, but it is, 
it's hard. You know, sometimes you get the family member to turn over the clothes and they're emotional. It's a piece right. of their loved one that they're handing over to us. So, you know, I try to assure them that what comes back to them is going to be something that they can cuddle with or just have as a really special memento. But the volunteers do an amazing job with it. I mean, just all kinds of fabrics and, and requests. And, you know, they, they take the denim jeans and they make little jeans on the bear or whatever it is. That they, they, <laughs> each one has its own character and they're pretty proud of it. So I, I applaud them for the work that they do on that. Yeah, my wife thought that was awesome when I showed yeah, that. It's not just for hospice patients. I mean, that's a community, you know, program mm -hmm. that we do. Um, we offer, typically what we do is if someone's family was on 100 in hospice, we'll do two free items and then anybody else or anything beyond that, we ask for a $20 donation per item. So it's pretty, you know, pretty reasonable, but uh, it's, it's a fun, I like that part of my job when the bears come in and out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a great organization on all the different aspects that go on. So it's, um, it's, I'm, like I said, I'm ready. Put me in, get me going here. As soon as this COVID thing stops. But yeah, uh, yeah now it's, uh, it, it, it's a truly, you, you can't put words to it, I guess, for a lot of people. And Rob, I mean, classic example with your situation. So you've lived it. So that's, uh, you can see it. That's just yeah, impressive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're, on behalf of our whole audience, I would never speak for all of them, but I'm going to say we're thankful that hospice is here. We're thankful that people like you exist and the volunteers who help people all over the country and especially here in New Jersey. And uh, we, we're just, it's just sometimes it's good to like take note and say, oh, I didn't even know all these, these services existed and to hear the stories. And so when like a couple months or a couple years or maybe never, you're gonna have a family member who's gonna go through this. And maybe this conversation uh, 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 you know, that we're having will spark a memory and I heard a podcast on it and let me reach out to this particular organization and you, you'll maybe go through it maybe a smidgen easier. Yeah. yeah, I mean, our whole team and, you know, just backing up a little bit too, the whole team, it's an interdisciplinary team. So we have a medical director, we have nurses, we have social workers, we have a chaplain, you know, we have home health aides, we have the volunteers. There's all these different people, pharmacists, they're all working together to help support the family. And I mean, I do have to say the group here is just really dedicated to the work and always happy to answer questions. So, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to be on the doorstep to just be like, okay, help me. It's right. time. I mean, that's certainly what I'm going to be working on in this upcoming year is just increasing, um, you know, in the past they've had what they call a speakers bureau, which just is the ability for us to be able to go out and meet with church groups or, you know, retirement communities or, or whatever place that we might be of value and just educate. I mean, that's the biggest thing we need to do is just educate people. That right. It doesn't have to be such a negative and scary uh, experience and you're not in it alone when you kind of let help in and that help in. And that's, you know, not only a hospice team, but it's a time in your life when you want to let in your friends and family and, and it's okay to ask for help. So it's really important. It's a really important mind shift and, and something to embrace because it's yeah. not easy. Yeah, it's well, not, I can, I'm not taught that, so that's for sure. Well, I can tell you, when you make that phone call, Hunter and Hospice, you are definitely not alone. You'll make a lot of new friends. You'll have more help than you could imagine, and they'll do everything they can in their power to uh, do the best job possible as a consumer. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Family <laughs> member, family member. I appreciate the endorsement there because you know, <laughs> we, we try really hard to, to you know, just make it custom to, I mean, you know, no, no two experiences are the same. So we're doing everything right. in our power and it's, it's a fluid, it's a fluid situation. So every day we're reevaluating the patient's needs, the family's needs, you know, just talking as a team of how, how do we keep adjusting the plan of care so that we can do our best. Right. Absolutely. Well, Rob. Well, I, you know, as we're kind of coming to to the end of the podcast, is there anything that you want to bring up, Kim? Any uh, telephone numbers or anything else that we want to kind of have out there? Yeah, yeah contact I mean, information. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, feel free to call us. At, it's 908-788-6600. And um, yeah, we can, we're happy to have anyone, you know, just whatever your questions are, ask them and we'll make sure we get you to the right resource um, to help with that. And if um, you don't li live in the greater New Jersey area, right? How could you like, if you were in another state, like how would you start the process? Where would the first Google be? Would you recommend a particular uh, website or anything like that, like on a national basis? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the Medicare website, medicare.gov is a really good place to start because again, it gives you, you can just put in your zip code and get the information for your area. Okay. Um, it's certainly, certainly probably the best way to, to start to kind of look at the options. You also good. mentioned the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Mm -hmm. Is that a good place? There, it's a great resource, um, nhpco.org. And they have all kinds of resources and, and things that, you know, help. Um, you know, and then, like I said, we're going to be doing our best to just keep getting the education out there so that we can, you know, right. continue to help people where they, when they need it. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming well, on. Well, this is the Help Me on Middle Age podcast. And we'd like to thank you for joining us today. And if you could just remember to scroll down hit the like button, the share button, and subscribe. Uh, we could really bring amazing guests like this on and have intelligent and great conversation. Well, we try and have intelligent conversation. <laughs> uh, we could really just try and expand the audience and share a lot of good content. Once again, my name is Rob. And I'm Rob too. Thanks for joining us. Till next time, guys. Bye-bye.